The Guardian. Questions to the Prime Minister, Madeleine Moon. Number one, Mr Speaker. M Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Madeleine Moon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Having met four young people from my Bridgen constituency, my, my right honourable friend will be aware that it is vital that these young people have the assurance and confidence that for their futures there will be apprenticeships and good jobs available for them on which they can build their future lives. Can I give them that assurance from the Prime Minister? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I, I, I was uh, pleased to meet young people from her constituency and to talk about the creation of jobs and opportunities for young people. The whole House will be pleased to know today that the employment figures show we have more people in employment than at any time in our history, that despite the global financial turbulence, which has meant unemployment rising in America and unemployment twice as high in France and Germany, that we have seen unemployment fall in every region and nation of the country over the last eight year. And that is only possible because of the policies of stability and by the creation of the New Deal that we will continue to pursue that never happened under the previous government. The, the whole world will have been shocked by the pictures on television last night of the security crackdown and the dead bodies on the streets of Laza and other parts of Tibet. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that, yes, our relationship with China is vital, yes, China is a major power, but we must be absolutely clear in telling the Chinese government that this is completely unacceptable? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I spoke to Premier Wen of China this morning, and I made it absolutely clear that there had to be an end to violence in Tibet, and I hope that all sides of the House will agree with that. I also called for constraint... Uh, and I called uh, for an end to the violence by dialogue between the different parties. The Premier told me that, uh, subject to two things that the Dalai Lama has already said, uh, that he does not support the total independence of uh, Tibet and that he renounces violence, that he would be prepared to enter into dialogue with the Dalai Lama. I will meet the Dalai Lama when he is in London. I think it is important that we all facilitate discussions, but the most important thing at the moment is to bring about an end to the violence, reconciliation, and to see legitimate talks taking place between those people in China. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I congratulate the Prime Minister on making, on making absolutely the right decision with regard to the Dalai Lama? This is a, this is, it is a difficult decision, but it wouldn't have been made any better by delaying it, and I congratulate him for doing the right thing. Indeed, we, we make the right decisions at all times. Mr. Speaker, no, no, as Mr. Miller, can, can I can I say to my right honourable friend that uh, uh, long-term unemployment is down 82 percent. Uh, in, in my constituency, overall unemployment down by 39%. I have just been discussing with a prospective inward investor uh, proposing to bring another 600 jobs to my constituency. My right honourable friend knows that the success in the turnaround of the economy in my area has been caused by 
the relationship between the government and the private sector? Will he ensure that we invest in training to continue these good trends for the future? Mr Speaker, my, my honourable friend has fought hard for the car industry and other jobs for his constituency and for the development of the science-based industries in the whole of the North West region. He will be pleased to know that unemployment is falling in the whole of the region, that unemployment is down on a year ago, uh, that more jobs are being created in all parts of the country, and we will continue to pursue the policies that are necessary, stability first by bearing hard on inflation, a new deal to give people chances of jobs, apprenticeships for young people, and none of this would happen under the policies of the opposition. a soldier handed over this medal to me in protest at the government's refusal to grant him British citizenship. Does the Prime Minister know what it means for a loyal British soldier to give up a medal that he won for his long years of service to this country? And can he explain to the Gurkhas why on earth he believes that Gurkhas who have served in the army after 1997 are worthy of British citizenship, but those who served before that date should be deported? Let, let, let me uh, also pay a tribute to the Gurkhas. They have been in existence since 1815. They have served loyally in every part of the world, and particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan, where they fought with uh, Prince Harry over the last few months. They have done a tremendous job for our country. Now, we are the first government to have given Gurkhas the right to a pension for those after 1997. We are the first to have given equal pay to the Gurkhas. We are the first to have dealt with the problems of married accommodation. And we're the first to say that after four years' residence, after four years in the army, they will have the right to residence in this country. Now, these are changes that we brought about. Now, why is the date 1997? It's the date that the Gurkhas, once based in Hong Kong, moved to be based in Britain. And that's why we are honouring uh, the promises that we made for the period after 1997. That is a technical argument. courage to take responsibility for it. Now, after five years of conflict in Iraq... Uh, let the right honourable gentleman speak. Oh, order. Nick Clegg. Mr Speaker, after five years of conflict uh, in Iraq... Nick Clegg. Mr Speaker, after five years of conflict in Iraq, at the cost of 175 British soldiers' lives, over 600,000 Iraqi civilians and £7 billion of taxpayers' money, will the Prime Minister tell the House today whether he has any regrets for his decision to support and pay for the war in Iraq? Mr Speaker, there is a democracy in Iraq as a result of the changes that have been brought about. Millions of children are getting the benefit of both education and vaccination and healthcare services as a result. We are rebuilding with the Iraqis the economy of Iraq. I don't believe he wants to go back to a situation where Saddam Hussein was in control of Iraq. Christine Russell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Children's centres where community midwives, health visitors, speech and language therapists are working alongside childcare providers and family support workers are making a real difference to the life chances of children and giving tremendous support to their parents. 
Will my right honourable friend please give an assurance to the House that the funding for the Sure Start programme will continue so that every community in this country has access to fully integrated children's services? Speaker, there is a transformation taking place in the care of the under fives. There are 1,500 children's centres now. There will be 3,500 in 2010. That means for most constituencies in the country, there will be five or six Sure Start children's centres available for the use by both parents and children. And what would be a terrible mistake is the Conservative policy to take £200 million out of the budget of Sure Start centres. They've got to explain how many areas will have their Sure Start centres closed as a result. And they are doing the worst by young children by cutting back on vital provision in early years learning. Before the House breaks for Easter, I'd like to give the Prime Minister the opportunity to answer some of the questions he's completely failed to answer in recent weeks. I thought he'd welcome the opportunity. Last week I asked him, last week I asked him if we could have free votes on the Human uh, Embryo and Fertilisation Bill in this House, whereas in the House of Lords he whipped uh, his peers on conscience issues. So can he tell us today, will we have free votes on that bill on his side of the House when it comes here? I made it clear last week about uh, this uh, bill. This is an important bill that improves the facilities for research, vital for life-saving, to dealing with life-saving diseases. It is a bill that has gone through the House of Lords. I said very clearly, uh, everybody in this House should be in, have the right to exercise their conscience, and we will come back to the House with our proposals to take it through in later times. Why can't he just tell us whether we can have free votes or not? What is... What is so difficult? What is so difficult about making a decision about this issue? If he can't make a decision about this, no wonder the country's in such a mess. Yeah. Now, let me try an issue I asked him about two months ago, and that was identity cards. I asked him whether he was personally in favour of compulsory identity cards. Now, I'm opposed to that. He says it is a matter for Parliament. Well, the last time I looked, he's a member of Parliament. So will he be voting for it, yes or no? I was in favour of it then, and I repeat that now. I ask him the question, is he in favour... Oh, yes! The question he never answered, is he in favour of compulsory ID cards for foreign nationals, yes or no? We are in favour. Is he against? If he wants, if he wants, if he wants to ask me questions, call an election, and you can ask six a week. Yeah. Meantime, meantime, my responsibility is to ask him questions on behalf of the country, and his responsibility is to answer on behalf of the government. ID cards for foreigners are just a way of spinning biometric visas, and there isn't a person in the House of Commons who is opposed to that. Let me try. Let me try. Let me try another question. When I asked him about A-levels, good to see the Children's Secretary sitting there so quietly this week. Um, when I asked, very very good. When I asked him, about, he had a choice. Either he had to learn to shout more clearly or to be quiet and, uh, and take the right choice. When I asked the Prime Minister... When I, when I asked the Prime Minister about A-levels six weeks ago, he could give absolutely no guarantee that they would remain after the review in 2013. That means that children starting secondary school don't know whether they'll be doing A-levels or not. 
I want A-levels to remain as the gold standard. Does he? I also answered this question a few weeks ago. The, the review will take place in 2013. Nobody is going to take away A-levels when they are successful. What we're going to look at is how the diplomas are working, review it in 2013, and then make a decision. That is a guarantee that A-levels are in business for the next five years. So he can give us absolutely no answer after 2013. That means the children at secondary school and their parents have no idea what sort of examination system is going to be in place. So the Prime Minister cannot make a decision about free votes. He cannot make a decision about A-levels. No wonder his new spin doctor, Stephen Carter, says, and I quote, living in Downing Street is like living in a surreal cartoon. <laughs> the there are now... There are now there are now so many spin doctors in Downing Street, they've started actually spinning against each other and leaving in floods of tears. But, but there is a new strategist, a man called David Muir. Yes? I've done a bit of research. He's the chief strategist. And on the internet, he has lift listed his favourite book. And his favourite book, Mr Speaker, is this. It is called... Is his, his favourite book not the following? It is called The Unstoppable Power of Leaderless Organisations. If the Prime Minister... If the Prime Minister cannot make a decision, if he cannot run his office, why does anyone wonder why he cannot run the country? Because we are dealing with the substance of issues. The opposition are playing at politics. We are dealing with the substance of governing. And it's interesting, Mr Speaker, there's not one question about the global economy. Why? Because the Conservatives don't have a policy on the global economy. There's not one question about the health service, because they've got no proper policy on the National Health Service. There's not one question about local government services, because they're cutting local government services. They have got no answer to the problems of this country. With current market conditions deteriorating, will my right honourable friend reassure this House that now is not the time to abandon the target that we've set that 50 per cent of all new housing in London should be affordable? Yeah. 15,000 houses were being built in London in the course of a year. The Mayor has raised the target to 30,000, but he also wants 50 per cent of these houses to be affordable housing. It is very sad that the Conservative mayoral candidate for London has abandoned that target if ever he were to be elected. Surely in London, of all places, we need more affordable housing. We will deliver it. The other side would not. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister explain how a London Underground PPP contract which charges out a technician at the rate of £140,000 a year, meets the government's targets for best value. Who shall we blame for this state of affairs? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, we are increasing the usage of the underground in London from a billion passengers a year to one and a half billion passengers a year. Public transport in London has never been better as a result of the decisions that we are taking. Unfortunately, it would be cut by the party opposite. John Mann. It seems, certain that, it seems certain that beat knee for coal miners is about to be made a prescribed industrial disease. In order that we can avoid another feeding frenzy for solicitors, will the Prime Minister get his ministers to meet with interested MPs to see whether a scheme can be established that gives value for money to the taxpayer, 
fair compensation for the coal miner and nothing to the solicitors. Yeah. Well, well, Mr Speaker, I understand the Industrial Injuries Advisory Committee is looking at this very issue at the moment and whether it should be a prescribed disease and therefore liable to uh, compensation and health. It will make a recommendation to ministers at the Department of Work and Pensions in due course and we will take action uh, on that. I can say to him it's only because we've taken action on industrial diseases over these last 10 years that miners are now receiving the compensation they never received under the previous government. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 2008 is the year of reading. Is the Prime Minister aware that many visually impaired and dyslexic children cannot obtain vital textbooks in accessible formats? Last year, the Government made a welcome commitment to actually improve the provision of such materials. Will he ensure that commitment is delivered? Mr Speaker, I had the privilege of being at the launch of the National Year of Reading. It's very important to encourage all children to get the benefits of reading. She rightly raises the problem of dyslexic children and others who are in need of special uh, help. Uh, and I will look at everything that she says on that matter and I will write to her. Helen Southworth. Thank you. Will my right honourable friend take action to protect children and young people from harmful content on the internet and in video games? Mr Speaker, my honourable friend has, has been very active in protecting particularly children who are away from their homes uh, from abuse and exploitation. Uh, as she may know, we set up this review under uh, Dr Tanya Byron, and that review is to look into both the evidence of harm and the measures to protect children from inappropriate content online. I've talked to Dr Tan Tanya Byron about her review. She will report soon. I believe she will make recommendations uh, that will take into account both the needs to see the internet uh, as a means by which people get access uh, to learning materials and to new technology, but also a danger and a harm where we've got to take action where necessary. And I hope she will look forward to the report of Dr Byron. Robert Goodwill. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is it right that if a person who's been given a driving ban for a serious offence such as causing death by dangerous driving subsequently is given a prison sentence for an unrelated criminal offence, they can continue to use up their driving ban whilst in prison. Shouldn't it be deferred until they're released? Well, he raises an important point, and I can say that we will look at the very matter he raises. Albert Owen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last Saturday's Grand Slam victory shows the, shows the sporting skills and passion of the Welsh nation. Looking forward to the Olympic Games in 2012, and the opportunities that will provide Welsh communities, such as my own of Ernest Moan, who has been chosen for potential training facilities for athletes from across the world. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the legacy from those Olympics must be spread across the United Kingdom? And can he urge his ministers to work with the devolved administrations and the Olympic Committee to make sure that that legacy crosses the United Kingdom and periphery areas such as North West Wales? Uh, I, I'm grateful to him. I, I see he's got a sore throat, no doubt, from cheering uh, all over the weekend. Uh, and I, uh, too, sent my congratulations to the, the captain and the manager of the Welsh team for their great success in the international championship. He's absolutely right. The benefits of the Olympics must be spread across the whole of the country. That is the intention behind persuading the different teams to do training in particular areas of the country before they arrive in London. I understand for the Paralympic teams, the Australians are going to base themselves uh, in Wales for the pre-games camp. 
and I hope that in other areas of the country, regions and cities and towns will see the benefit of this as we move forward to 2012. The Olympic Games are for the whole of the United Kingdom, and I believe that's how the public see them. Nigel Evans. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Could the Prime Minister tell the House how many post offices are due for closure in his own constituency? Is he fighting to keep them open? as his cabinet colleagues are doing in their own constituencies? And does he not find that rather bizarre that they are fighting against a policy of him and his government which is doing so much damage to the post office network in this country? Mr Speaker, the post offices are losing half a million pounds a day. I too want to see good services for post offices in every part of the country. But the fact of the matter is there are 800 post offices where on average 16 people attend these post offices every week. And we've got to take action. And I take it from the motion the Conservatives have put forward today, they are not proposing extra money to save the post offices. And unfunded promises are empty and hollow promises to the people of this country. We have put aside £1.7 billion to make that available to the post office network. And I can only repeat what the National Federation of Sub-Postmasters, the chairman, said this morning. Post offices do not have the customer base they used to have many years ago. Many post offices are far quieter than they used to be. And although it is unpopular closing 2,500 post offices, it is necessary to make sure that the remaining 11,500 have a future. And that's what we intend to make sure they do have. Before going further, Mr Evanet, it's not your purpose to come into this chamber and shout down the Prime Minister or any other honourable member who's addressing the House. And that goes for a few others. And I will not tolerate this situation. Graham Stringer. Too close to speaker. A constituent of mine will have approximately £1,500 less spent on him on public services than the exact equivalent in Glasgow. There is increasing anger in the English regions about the Barnett formula, and it is a threat to the Union. Will my right honourable friend agree to review this formula? We are, we are due to publish a paper on the Barnett formula as soon. But I, ha I have to say to him that the allocation of funds within the United Kingdom is based on a needs assessment that started over 30 years ago, has been agreed by all parties subsequently, has been followed by every government uh, since, and it is based on the idea that we should allocate resources in the United Kingdom on the basis of need. Now, that is the basis on which the Barnett formula exists. Mr Speaker, the right honourable gen right gentleman will know that the Ligature Police Authority has increased its precept by 78.9%. That is a result of continuous underfunding due to a grant system that does not properly address the needs of the rural areas. Would he please ensure that in the coming year there is a special one-off payment to help and that in the future the grant system is adjusted so that forces like Lincolnshire get proper resources. Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, we, we've promised uh, police authorities a minimum of 2.5% extra per year for the next three years. Uh, I have not seen similar promises made by the Conservative Party to fund policing. As a result of doubling the expenditure on police since 1997, we have more police in our history than ever before and we are better served by both police and community support officers. And I hope he will agree that that's one of the reasons why crime has fallen in this country. Senior Barlow. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Figures revealed to me show that 10,500 households in Brighton and Hove are currently waiting for council homes fit to live in. Some are rehoused 20 miles away in temporary accommodation, others are in private rented accommodation, which is substandard to say the least. What additional powers will the Prime Minister make available to members of Parliament to force Tory-led local authorities like mine to build more affordable homes? Mr Speaker, there is a desperate need for more houses in this country. And it is very important that all the different agencies that can make possible the building of housing do so. Therefore, it is sad to see some Conservative and Liberal authorities unprepared to build the houses that are needed. We are prepared to make available additional funding, as we have shown. I hope that local authorities in every area of the country will respond to the urgent need. John Leach. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Adela Mahoro Mugabe, who is HIV positive following being raped and tortured in Rwanda, is threatened with being sent back to Rwanda um, where she will not be able to access the treatment that she requires to stay alive. Will the Prime Minister intervene to stop this travesty of justice? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm very happy to look at the case that he's uh, brought before me. Uh, obviously, uh, Rwanda, which is now a peaceful country, there is no reason to believe that people being returned to Rwanda are going to be tortured or in difficulty as a result of that. If there is an issue about the treatment of this particular patient, then obviously we will look at it. Ben Chapman. Um, can it be right, Mr Speaker, that a tax exile is allowed to spend unlimited amounts of funding on campaigning, political campaigning, outside an election period? And isn't it time that that issue was tackled? And isn't it best that it be tackled by getting all the political parties back round the table to agree a settlement which is, which is acceptable to all? Yeah. Mr Speaker, we, we have made proposals to reform uh, party funding. Uh, we will bring forward a, a white paper on this issue very soon. It's very important to recognise that most of the public want to see a ceiling on election expenditures and a ceiling on individual contributions, uh, and that is what uh, we are looking at. Uh, it's unfortunate there's not all party support on it. Mr Speaker, yesterday I was very pleased to present a petition to the Prime Minister on behalf of my constituent, Mr Ali Porakabarian, uh, an Iranian Christian who was supposed to be deported. We were delighted to get the news on the same day that his deportation uh, has been put on hold. However, when will this government accept that to deport Christians, homosexuals or anyone else that the uh, objectionable regime in Iran doesn't like is simply not facing up to our human rights responsibilities? Mr Speaker, I think it is true to say we do face up to our human rights responsibilities and where there is a proven uh, case in which we can act, we will take action. But it's also important, and I don't know anything about this individual case, to make sure that the system is used fairly and at all times the decisions are made in the right way. Martin Keaton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It is clear now that the international drive for biofuels is doing more harm than good in terms of food security, biodiversity and even in combating climate change. Will my right honourable friend take a lead in Europe by calling for an abandonment of the current targets until we have a truly sustainable generation of biofuels. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I did attend the European Council last uh, Friday and we are holding fast to the general environmental targets, which includes a 60% or more reduction in carbon emissions by 2050. As far as biofuels, he'll have noted the Chancellor's uh, proposals in the budget uh, this week. And of course, we wish to see other countries doing as we are doing 
in making it clear that we will make the changes that are necessary based on the scientific evidence. What assessment has the Prime Minister made of the independence and effectiveness of Postwatch in representing the best interests of post office users? Mr Speaker, the the process of consultation leads to three different uh, stages in which Postwatch is involved. As a result of that, 10% of the proposals have been changed. There is an additional stage that has been agreed where the Chairman of the Post Office, uh, Mr Leighton himself, will look at any individual representations that are put to them after these stages. Uh, I believe that there is, therefore, a set of uh, opportunities for people to put their case, and the fact that 10% of changes have been reversed shows that the post-watch system is working. Jessica Morden. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Gift aid makes a very real difference to many charities in this country who will welcome the transitional measures announced last week in the Budget to help soften the blow caused by the reduction of the basic rate of income tax. But can the Prime Minister reassure charities in my constituency that there is a long-term plan past the the three years to ensure that there is no reduction in income and also that we can drive up levels of giving through gift aid? I'm grateful to my uh, honourable friend. We provided £100 million a year uh, as transitional uh, support uh, for uh, people who are receiving gift aid relief as charities uh, to enable them to deal with the consequences of reducing the basic tax rate from 22 pence to 20 pence. But I have to say we've also introduced a number of other measures, uh, a comprehensive programme for bringing additional smaller charities into gift aid, uh, outreach to a lot of new charities to help them uh, and help them uh, use gift aid to advantage. And of course, over the last few years, the amount of tax relief available to charities has risen from 1.9 billion to 2.9 billion. That's a billion extra through tax relief going to the charities of this country. And it wouldn't have been possible unless we'd had proper economic policies that were working for the people of Britain. Anne McIntosh. The Prime Minister will be aware that the global economic downturn is sending jitters throughout the whole economy. He will also be aware that there is a delay in the European Union to a decision on state aid for Northern Rock. Um, This will obviously be causing great concern to those whose jobs are at risk and small investors like myself in Northern Rock. When does he expect expect the Commission to give a ruling on state aid provisions for Northern Rock? I I hope that she would therefore support the policy that we have proposed on on Northern Rock. As someone who has followed uh, what has happened in Northern Rock, and she might disagree with what the opposition party frontbench has done on that. As far as the European Union is concerned, we are in discussions with the European Union. I believe they will approve our proposals. I believe they're right for the company, right for the workforce, and right for the stability of the economy. And I believe we'll make progress very soon. Gordon Marsden. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does my uh, right honourable friend agree with me that regenerating small towns and cities is as key as regenerating large ones, and that universities can be part of that process? And with that in mind, will he welcome and encourage the ambitious plans of Blackpool and the Fylde College to give a new cutting-edge leisure and creative and business industries edge to our university plans in Blackpool. He is a a persistent campaigner on behalf of Blackpool and its regeneration. And I think it's very important to recognise that colleges of education, colleges of higher education and universities are some of the biggest employers in our towns and cities. 
It is only because of this government's policies to expand higher education, to have more students, to have more apprenticeships, and therefore to have more people staying on at school in education afterwards, that it's possible to contemplate new universities in this country. But that's exactly what we're going to do. For more discussion and analysis, download Guardian Daily. That's The Guardian's news podcast, available first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.